Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. Today's market call is presented by CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. And FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. One PM on the East Coast, Tuesday, January 9th. I'll start by saying this. I'm a little worried about the New York Rangers got <laughs> throttled. And yes, I chose that word throttled last yeah. night by the Canucks of Vancouver, who are one of the best teams in the league. But, you know, that's the benchmark now for the Rangers. And they haven't played well for the better part of a month. I'm worried about their net minder, Dan, as are you. As is, by the way, John Butters, who is joining us today. OM. Frickin' G. How are you, Dan? I'm doing great. I mean, it's not even Thursday, and it's Butters know, it's here insane. on Market Call. And we're going to do a deep dive and a little Q4 earnings preview from John Butters with not even released charts and data that are going to drop in his earnings insight. What do they call that? Em like embargoed or something? Yeah, they're embargoed. So we have this embargoed data from Mr. Butters here. So we're going to check out all of that guy. But we got a lot to do today on, on our market call, don't well, we? we? Thought we it, looked, it appeared as, uh, listen, yesterday, <laughs> the S&P's up a cool 60 handles. Like That's a, that's a big move. And then yep. today it appeared as though we're going to give some of it back. And the market is fighting itself back to effectively unchanged in the S&P. Everything to me is just, you know, after the S&P, everything is this conversation. The Nasdaq's up small. The, the S&P's, excuse me, the Dow's down maybe less than half of 1% now. But again, the S&P is fighting back to unchanged, which is pretty impressive given where we started the day. But there are a lot of things out there. So let's take a look quickly at our rundown. I always like saying uh, Marco Kalanovic for some reason. I don't know why. It sounds like a Kalanic or something. The things you take to sort of help help to help things start to move. But he thinks yeah. things are going to move on the stock front. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. We talk about some of these semis, and other than some of the big shots, there have been some warning signs, and we're going to talk about some of the warning signs that some of these uh, less talked about semis are telling. And then, obviously, we mentioned the great John Butters earning preview. That's what we're looking at today. Today, obviously, through the lens of the CMA, Dan. 
Yeah, let's look at the S&P futures while we're here just to talk about the markets really quickly here, because to your point, Guy, you know, yesterday, um, a big reversal after a pretty weak first week of the year, um, as far as markets were concerned there, we didn't get back to that breakout level that you and I were kind of focused on that 4600 ish, um, or so you see that rising 200 day moving average. And again, you know, it's pretty simple here, that gap. And I think that comes from that kind of mid November period, right, Guy, where we had that CPI print that got things going. And, you know, that was an up 2% to new 52 week mm -hmm. highs. Pretty impressive. And brings us to the Marco Kalanovic call that you were talking about. He's expecting negative catalysts here, you know, and those would be the sorts of things that I think if rates which have firmed here a little bit at 4%, if we were to start to see hotter data, that means higher for longer. But talk to me how you're reading what Marco is saying about the disinflation thesis is likely to be challenged in the first half of this year, guy. Yeah, it, it, it's, well, there are a lot of things to take away from this. And I agree with him in terms of, you know, I still think there's some inflationary pressures out there that the market's not taking into consideration. But whether it's deflation, disinflation, or outright continued inflation, the market faces headwinds. And what I take away from this is, you know, Marco has been, he's dug his heels in on this thesis, but basically an overall negative thesis for quite some time. And like Doug Cass points out, and I think you've said it as much as, as well, the higher the market goes, it's not changing the things we're concerned about. Like the market strength doesn't fix the ills that we're looking at. It just masks them to a certain extent. And I will tell you, and I think I can't speak for Marco, but I think he would say, and you've said this, Dan, the higher the market goes, the more concern you get because the market isn't correcting what we're concerned about. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And to his point, all the things that, that uh, you know, they have been you know, the market, you want to say disregarded in 2023, they still remain. And the longer they're out there, they actually don't get much better. Let's look at the five-year chart of the S&P 500 uh, minis futures here. And this is, I think, what you're probably particularly worried about here, Guy. Yeah, we've gotten back to that prior high here. We've gotten back to that that level in, in a very short period of time, right? If you think about it in, in about two and a half months or so, and in a straight line, right? So we're contending with that prior level, as our main man Carter would say. And so that's why I think our conversation with John Butters and ex expectations for earnings, expectations for first half guidance, especially with we've been tracking Butters' work on what consensus is for S&P 500 earnings for 2024, they're expected to be up 11%. That's after basically flat in 2023. So that's why this earnings period could hold the key, in my opinion, whether we have the ability to break out. But like, again, you and I thought a check back towards 4,600, maybe even as far as 4,400 mm -hmm. might give the basically, you know, might start discounting what might be able to come later on in the year. But until we do that, I'm just hard pressed to think that we can make a meaningful new high from here, guy, and establish a new range above 4,800. I think at these levels, with the market, the mar you talk about the market being a discounting mechanism, which you know we've heard thousands of times over the years. But right now, the market is pricing in just about every positive catalyst that can happen, or has happened, or the belief that it will happen into consideration. And again. I think there's this misguided belief that if the Fed were to start to cut rates, that is somehow bullish for equities. You know, I understand the one dimensional thinking, but if you go back and look over the periods of time, you know, the market gets its diciest when the Fed starts cutting. Now, people will say that be that's because the Fed is cutting 
when things are going wrong, when things are going pear-shaped. And in this scenario, they will have the ability to cut because things are still going well and inflation's under control. That's sort of the bull case. I just don't sort of see it that way, Dan. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, Fed Chair Powell said it. They're going to cut before they get to their 2% yep. um, inflation and that was, target. Yep, yep. And, and, you know, listen, and this is what Marco is basically saying. He just thinks a lot of the progress with disinflation has been done. Listen, we're going to get some inflation readings in the not so uh, distant future here. Um, but I think it's important. Let's look at the 10 year U.S. Treasury yield. Um, and, and obviously, it's a fairly pronounced downtrend from that move from 5% um, a couple months ago. It's obviously corresponds with the actual inverse move that we saw in the SP 500. You see it's contending here with its 200 day moving average. You know that, you know, we have uh, made a, a bearish or, or detailed a bearish trade in the TLT um, in the next month or two, playing for higher yields here. I know that's been your view. We checked back to a technical level, but it really comes down to you want to put together some qualitative stuff with some quantitative stuff. If we start getting readings, and I think the jobs report on Friday was supportive of this. I mean, it's not like we are going to get softer data that much quicker right now in the near term, which means that rates are likely to stay at least bid above those recent lows at 3.8% in the 10-year, which at some point, if the earnings data or the guidance, the visibility about earnings guidance doesn't look particularly sound, then that should, I, I think, speak to lower equities, in my opinion, Guy. Rates, seemingly, the everything is predicated on rate moves. And again, I don't know necessarily the mechanisms of the market anymore. I mean, so many things are driven by algorithms and machines and the interpretation of data and those types of things. Like, I'm hard-pressed to believe there are even humans making decisions at any point. But I'll say this, you know, it's pretty obvious that the market really enjoyed 10-year yields going from 5 down to 3.82%. And they're sort of bucking the trend here with this little move higher in yields, to your point. Maybe, I don't, I don't know, you know really why the reason is, you know, maybe there's just discounting the fact that we're seeing a bit of a bounce here in yields before we take the next leg lower. But to your point, I think if yields were start to move in a meaningful way back up towards four and a quarter percent, I think that's when the market takes notice. And again, you outlined a bearish trade in TLT. So basically thinking that yields were going to go back higher a week and a half, two weeks ago. And that was within a day or so, I think, of the low in yields and the, basically uh, the high in the TLT. The TLT has come off markedly since. If you want to throw a TLT chart up there, Jacob or Steven, just to take a look, you'll see. I mean, the move lower has been pretty dramatic over a very short period of time. But I absolutely believe that yields hold the key. And I'll say this as well. You know, if we get to February and with each passing day, we get closer with the market, with the yield curve being inverted, it'll be the longest since we've started taking this data uh, yeah. in terms of the economy. And history suggests the longer the inversion, uh, the more severe the downturn is. So just be aware of what's out there, folks. Yeah. And, and one of the positives that you mentioned, this perception that obviously lower yields are when the Fed starts to cut, that should be good for stocks. We've like presented plenty of data going back the last you know 30 years or so where that actually hasn't been the case. It's from the pause of the rate hikes, right? And that period between. And then when the cuts start happening, um, things kind of happen all at once. If we just want to look really quickly at the CME Fed funds tracker here for the Jan 31 meeting, you see there's a near certainty, at least the market is pricing the fact that there will not be any cuts. If we want to look at March, it's basically like a 65% probability guy, and that's come down a come bit. Down so significantly, the, yeah. yeah. 
So the cooler data that we get, you know, and we've talked to a lot of smart people, a lot of smart people over the last few weeks or so thinks that the markets got a little bit um, ahead of themselves a little bit. So I don't know. All right, let's, let's, you know, it, so we don't get over our skis. Why don't we bring them in here? Because you and no I, I think are we got both in the camp that earnings will hold the key. Here he is, John Butters. He's a senior earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. John, welcome back to the program. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me back. Hope I'm you enjoyed stay. Michigan and congratulations on the Wolverines last night. And by the way, Dan Nathan's been on fire. But I said to Dan yesterday, and I've said it a couple times, that I didn't think Washington could score against Michigan. I thought the Michigan defense was stout. I'm not a fan of the Michigan quarterback. And quite frankly, as you know, John, he was not the story of that game. But I will tell you this. I think the quarterback of Washington, Penix Jr., he did not help himself in terms of draft uh, positioning. And last night I said on Twitter, and you don't need to agree or disagree with this, but I thought the the outside of Michigan, Drake May from North Carolina had the best night. But that's just me, John. Welcome to the show. Well, yeah, well, I know my Patriots have a high draft pick for the first time in years, so I know I think Penix was on their radar. So we'll we'll see how that all plays out. So yeah, he, he's he's dropping off there a little bit. But John, yeah. you heard a little bit what we had to say about the market and kind of how you know it's it's been a tale of two weeks. Let's call it in in, in the S and P five hundred so far a little bit. I think a lot of folks were taking some profits last week and some of the biggest names, some of the biggest contributors, not just to the performance in the S and P, but also obviously to S and P five hundred earnings here. This week, they're coming right back for the stuff that got us there. If you look at the moves that we're seeing in like an NVIDIA and, in, you know, even um, the way that they're buying up, you know, Google and Amazon today and stuff. So they're going back for the Mag 7. Talk to us a little bit uh, how you're thinking about Q4 earnings season. We've seen some pre-announcements so far a little bit, but um, you have some data here that you're going to be dropping in your earnings insight uh, blog this Friday morning. Yeah, so coming into this earnings season, both companies and analysts were a little more pessimistic than normal in terms of their outlooks for earnings. So on the company side, uh, 73 companies, the S&P 500 gave negative guidance. That's above the average. Typically, we see about 60. And in terms of the estimate revisions, uh, analysts took the numbers down for this quarter by 7% during the quarter. And again, we typically see about a 3 to 4% decline uh, during the course of the quarter. So as a result, you know, look at the chart here. Back on September 30th, the expectations were for 8% growth. That's dropped all the way down to 1.3% growth, as it's say. But it is important to note, we're hanging in there for growth. And if we do get growth, which still looks likely at this point, that'll be the second straight quarter mm -hmm. after we had three quarters of declines uh, in late 2022 and early 23. But what's interesting here, the the speed with which analysts have ratcheted things down. And, you know, that's, again, that's sort of my takeaway. And Dan, we've talked about this as well, John, but I still think that Earnings expectations for 24 still hover around 11 and a half or sort of 12 percent uh, year over year. And I just I'm hard pressed to believe that's going to come to fruition. But I guess it's somewhat encouraging to see sort of people, I want to say, come into their senses in terms of uh, earnings expectations. Well, yeah. And I was going to say, it's interesting to point out, while the Q4 numbers came down pretty dramatically, as you can see here, we haven't seen significant cuts yet to the first half of 2024 mm -hmm. or the full year. So while the overall Q4 number came down 7% during that same time frame. All of 2024 only came down about 1.3%. So I think there'll be a lot of focus, you know, as you guys alluded to earlier, the guidance, the outlooks to where those numbers move going forward. Because so, they so haven't come down, they haven't come down over these last couple of weeks. And I know we'll probably get into this in a later segment, but the the 2024 EPS 
has really been in a range of 245 to 250 most of this year. We've just dipped to the 244 point. But again, not a lot of downward revisions really during the course of the year for 2024. Not yet anyway. Yeah. So, John, it seems like since COVID, where a lot of companies um, kind of just abandoned giving forward guidance because of the lack of visibility and rightfully so um, at the time. And we've seen the way like so to your point about this chart that you have up here is like normal throughout the course of a quarter, you see three to four percent declines. Right. In earnings estimates. And the fact that we're seeing greater than what we have in the past, it probably has something to do with the fact that Fewer companies are willing to stick their necks out uh, any further than they have to as far as visibility um, into their business. Does that play something into it? And do you expect that to be possibly a permanent change by a lot of S&P 500 companies that they give less than they used to do prior to COVID? Uh, I mean, there's I mean, companies, I think, are typically conservative in their guidance overall. Right. We generally see more negative pre-announcements than positive pre-announcements. You know, I will say. Coming out of COVID, we have seen a slight uptick in the number of companies giving guidance. So that, that number is starting to come back a little bit, but I think there's okay. definitely some more conservatism, as you pointed out. And I think you'll definitely see, there's a good chance you'll see that this first quarter. I think at the start of the year, companies tend to be even more conservative. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, when this guidance comes out and what sort of visibility it has. You know, is there no visibility? You know, is there good visibility? Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll certainly... You know, that's something that's certainly something we'll keep an eye on during this earnings season. You know, you mentioned it, John, but let's look at your next slide because visually people can see exactly what you're talking about in terms of the optimism and where we've been in the different basically calendar years and what we're setting up for this calendar year. Because, you know, the words are one thing, but when you see the slide and if we could sort of slide it, Earl, um, this isn't the one I was looking for. Actually, I'm sorry, man. It's the one. Thank you. That's the one. This one to me speaks volumes in terms of the things you were just talking about. So maybe drill down a bit here. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we look at 2023, um, only about two, you know, 220 expected in terms of earnings. We go to 224, about 244. But as we noted, analysts typically overestimate the start of the year. And I think we, you know, I think we sent you this guy, this guy's the chart a couple of weeks ago, but typically by 7%. So if you're at 244, we take that 7%, you know, typical reduction that gets you down to 227, 228 mm-hmm. here. Um, but it is important to note that's an average. You know, for example, for 223, we're only down about 5% from where expectations were at the start of the year. And it'll probably shrink even more once again, earnings season. Companies beat that 223 number will probably come up a little bit. So um, but yeah, the broader the broader point is 11 11 to 12% growth. We haven't really seen much change in that expectation the last you know six to eight months. Um, I think this earnings season could be an could be an inflection point. We'll start to get more guidance for 2024 and we'll start to see where these numbers move. Yeah. And you Dan, I mentioned that real quick. I'm sorry, real. I mentioned that because when you see this visually, if you were to then have that reduction, so take 2024 down, and then over the last three and a half, four years, you now you effectively have flat in terms of earnings yeah. growth. I mean, within reason. So what are you talking about in terms of the market? It's all been multiple expansion, and that Dan is what's concerned me. But anyway, I wanted to visually show that because I think it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and we talked about that last night on Fast Money. We had a, a strategist on, um, Julian Emanuel from ISI. And, you know, again, you know, that was the story of 2023, a year that obviously saw earnings that, you know, we don't have them all in yet, but expected to be up maybe at its its highest, you know, a half a percent, right? Year over year from 2022. But it was the mirror opposite in performance. The S&P was down 22% in 2022, and it was up 20 
2023, right? And the mirror opposite of what happened with earnings. So here we are now, we're coming in this year, very near all-time highs in the S&P 500. We track your data that you are always looking at the multiple of the S&P versus the five, the 10-year and the 20-year averages. We're above all of them at this point, right? So if yep. that 2024 number that we can, we're not asking you to agree with us, but Guy and I think are very high, right? Given the headwinds that we see to the US economy, but also the global economy, then you have to assume that a few turns have to come out of the uh, the S&P trading very near 20 times, right? And so this is where I think it makes sense though, also John, to go back and look at um, from, the sector level, right? The contributors to the S&P 500 is because I think this chart that you have mm -hmm. is really interesting because here we are, we have a little bit of a barbell here, right? So you're saying that the six sectors in the index that are expected to see growth are led by communication services, utilities, and consumer discretionary. Now, consumer discretionary and communication services are very interesting to me. Now, on the, flat, the flip side of that, energy, healthcare, and materials to be a drag. Now, you can just add up all the all that you want on the drag versus the ones that are expected to be higher there's going to be more room to the downside for communication services and consumer discretionary if we go into a recession right and that's the risk to S&P 500 earnings in 2024 does that make sense the way i'm thinking about that john yeah and if you look at the 2020 so this is q4 but if you look at the 2024 sectors it's those uh, some of these same sectors are expected to lead growth next year as well so it's communication services Consumer discretionary, and we're talking about consumer discretionary, it's important, but a lot of that's Amazon and the information technology sector. So those are the three sectors, if we look ahead to 2024, that are really expected to drive the earnings growth, in addition to a rebound in healthcare. So analysts are also expecting a healthcare to, to rebound because the last couple of quarters, it's been down as well. So, but yeah, those, if you're looking at earnings growth for 2024, those are the three to four sectors you'd want to focus on. They're expected to drive the growth. Again, communication services, information technology, consumer discretionary, and healthcare. Well, they better because one of the stats that I was reading last night, I, I want to say it was 75% of S&P 500 companies underperformed the S&P 500, which if you think about it, speaks to, exact, to, to a large extent what we're looking at here. And we talk about it all the time and we try to bring it to you in different formats, Dan. But again, it comes down to 10, 15 stocks that are literally driving this entire performance of the broader market. And when you have that type of disparity between the have and the have nots, I mean, we probably haven't seen numbers like that in three or so decades, Dan. So that's why I look at this and understand, you know, I get the numbers, but at a certain point, the math's just not going to work for a lot of these companies. Well, listen, John, We, you, I think you know this. We appreciate your work. We track it every week. We get the preview of it on Market Call on Thursday. So we appreciate you being here with us on a Tuesday as we get into the bulk of Q4 earnings season, starting off at the end of the week with um, the financials. You had a great note on the Earnings Insight blog about Q4 and financials. People, you can find all of John and his whole team's great work at Insight.com factset.com slash subscribe get it to your inbox um and join the legend here guy because that's really what's going on here with jb uh and you know go blue i i think that's what, how you want to kind of take us out so, here i mean bit. without question i mean first of all if there are any butters family members out there saying what are you talking about michigan we, <laughs> we haven't been to michigan i know i don't know what happened but we went we somehow from new hampshire to michigan yeah i conflate them number one Number two, when you talk about joining the legend, I mean, it's like Paul Bunyan stuff now in terms of John <laughs> Butters. So, yes, join uh, the legend. That is John Butters. 
All right, John, we really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much, bud. You're a great sport, too. All right, great. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it as right. always. He's the man. He's the man. Hey, guys, you work know, work is great because, you know, when you can see the, when you visually yeah. see those, I think it helps so much just in terms of understanding what expectations are, where they've been, where we are. It's, it's very helpful. As they say, a picture worth a thousand words without question. And John's work speaks for itself. So we're fortunate yeah. to have him. And it's good to have him back. And we give him a hard time. But, you know, we, if we didn't give him a hard time, it would mean we didn't love him. Yeah, we do love them. Um, so check John's work out in your inbox. We appreciate it. Um, here, guys, this is something Doug Doug Cass hits us from Real Money. You guys know him. We love him. Um, here's a great comment here. Um, how do we get to 12% S&P EPS growth in 2024 if real GDP is only 1.5% yeah, and inflation is 2.5% producing nominal GDP growth of only 4%? I mean, it, it's it, how is that math equation eluding all of those strategists who are st- Still up there at two hundred and forty-five dollars a share in S&P earnings for twenty. I, I just don't get it. No, we've said it a number of times. You know the math doesn't work, and I'll tell you that the the economy. I'm hard pressed to you know. In, in order for the, those numbers to work, the economy has to sort of um, escalate in a way that we've never seen historically. It's not going to happen. Basically, yeah. is what the case is. So, you know, you can make the case that. Okay, you know what? Maybe we're not going to get that earnings growth, but we're willing to pay more for a dollar's worth of earnings in terms of multiple expansion because the United States is head and shoulders above everybody else. And that has been a bargain for a while that there should be a higher multiple associated with it because of those things. I don't agree with that. You know, I don't think you should be paying going to be north of 20 times uh, for an economy that's basically going to slow down. And I don't think. Um, we're going to get this soft landing in terms of the employment picture. I think all these revisions at some point, and I think you have 10 months of negative revisions in terms yeah. of the employment numbers. It's got to come. It all has to come home to roost at some time. We're just sort of prolonging the inevitable, I think. Yeah. So let's go back to the stock market for a second here. Let's look at the um, NASDAQ 100 futures because this chart is kind of interesting. looks a little different, Guy, than what we just kind of charted in the S&P 500. It almost checked back to that breakout level, right? So we saw how hard hit in Apple and some of these big tech names were last week, kind of light, low volume sort of stuff, almost got back to that level. And I think that both you and I would have said, well, that's kind of the line in the sand um, a little bit. So it's still 16,000 is gonna remain an important level to keep an eye on. And also obviously that prior high, Thoughts there, because again, it goes back to what you're talking about, is that you know those 10 names are driving all the performance. So um, you can have a broadening out by a bunch of $10 billion market cap companies, right? It's not going to do a whole heck of a lot, especially because let's just throw up an NVIDIA chart for a second here. This is a $1.3 trillion market cap company that has gone up 10% in the last two trading days in a straight line. And so, again, that just tells you the opportunity in the market, but also the risk in the market. Yeah, put that NVIDIA chart up and keep an eye on, okay, so let's take a look at this chart. If we could throw a moving average in, Stephen or Jacob, um, thank you, and you'll see. So you saw the check back to the moving average, and if you could do it, I think we need a 150 or a 200. So you see the check back we had, in terms of the NASDAQ in October, well, we obviously didn't get there in terms of NVIDIA. Now you could see, again, you know, a couple standard deviations away. Now, in real time, if you could throw up an Apple chart with a similar moving average, you'll see that we traded down and threw it briefly in October, and we traded down to it to the penny, as Carter would say, 
you know, last week or thereabouts. So this is a different chart, obviously, than the NASDAQ. So keep an eye on this. The Apple did trade down the moving average and bounce. To your point, though, Dan, the NASDAQ has not, and that's in large part due to that prior chart we looked at in the form of NVIDIA. So a lot of things to like here. And quite frankly, congratulations to you on Friday outlining again, and Carter said it as well, the continued breakout in NVIDIA. But man, oh, man. You look at that NASDAQ chart just to sort of end with it real quick. I mean, it becomes concerning at a certain point when, yeah. you know, you don't, again, you had that check back in October, but the farther we get away from the moving average, the more inclined I'm to believe we're going to revisit it at some point. Yeah. And, and maybe they could throw up Microsoft while we're at it. So again, Apple and Microsoft, they seem to be sparring for, you know, the largest market cap in the market, both, you know, near Three trillion. Look at that consolidation guy over mm-hmm. the last, you know, couple uh, month or so. And you could say, well, it's, you know, on a relative strength basis, you know, it, it's kind of underperforming the market. It's unchanged on the year right now. Um, but much like that NVIDIA that corrected over time, right? It worked off that overbought That's tradition right. over time. You know, Microsoft might be setting up to do something not too different in a way. So again, if you're going to pull up the RSI of 14 day, it doesn't look particularly overbought the way it did the you know a month and a half ago when it was trading at the similar level. So that's one to keep an eye on. And again, you know, this is one that I, I think you and I can both be in agreement next to NVIDIA probably has the most investor enthusiasm around their generative AI opportunities here, but here's also a stock on 2024, the current fiscal year they're in trading at 33 times, you know, expected, you know, mid to high teens growth as far as earnings and sales growth that, you know, is also mid teens or so you could say on a relative, you know, to its expected growth, not horrible, especially if you think there's upside to their numbers, right. Based on gen AI, but that's still who knows. Right. And so to me, it's about as expensive as it has been towards itself. It's history in a very long time. Agreed. 100% agreed. Apple as well. You know, what's funny is people are starting to make a compelling case for NVIDIA in terms of valuation, but, you know, a lot has to happen. A a lot has to go well for them uh, moving forward for them to grow in that valuation. But one of the things we teased is some of the under the radar, under the surface problems in the tech sector. And, you know, we throw a microchip. And again, we're not suggesting microchip is the broader market by any stretch of the imagination. But it's worth noting. Then you had Samsung, which we talked about last night, I think at 8 39 o'clock. We went back and forth on text messages. So, what we're seeing is in a couple different things. We're seeing the ramifications of double and triple ordering, number one, and the flip side, the ramifications of slowing demand. And that's manifesting itself in a number of different things. So, we talked about it with Mobileye last week, mm-hmm. Microchip, Samsung, I think to a certain extent, Taiwan. I mean, there's a laundry list of companies that have given us concerns, but it's being masked by the performance of, again, specifically NVIDIA and a handful of other names. Yeah, and that microchip is interesting because as we were talking about it last night after the close, um, you know, it was down five or so percent. It was down a little bit before the um, the open today, and it bounced again right off of that moving average. So I think that's kind of interesting. And, you know, we had Dan Niles from the Satori Fund on last night. I've known Dan for as long as I've been in the business, and he's, you know, seen all these, these tech bubbles kind of inflate and burst, and I think he's a very sober guy guy and a really smart guy. Um, he was on Fast Money with us last night, but I actually did guide nearly an hour with him on OK Computer, uh, a risk reversal media 
podcast that drops on Wednesday mornings. So people go follow that. That's going to drop tomorrow morning. You can find it in your podcast store. It's OKAY Computer. And Dan and I went through his top picks for 2024 and definitely a couple really surprising ones in the tech space, a couple in the biotech space. Um, We talked about China a little bit. And then he also has a lot to say on semis. And to your point about the double and triple ordering that no doubt has been going on in the Gen AI data center space. And he's got a couple ways to play that. I thought that was really interesting. So tune in, um, Guy, for that. The Samsung is really interesting because that was a guide lower, you know, and Mm -hmm. a lot of folks, we were talking about Apple a second ago. A lot of folks are worried about Apple. They're worried about what they're going to say. And given kind of how they guided last quarter, which wasn't particularly great, but the stock rallied a lot afterwards. And it really just got swept up in all the enthusiasm about the market. They don't even have a Gen AI product for all intents and purposes, guy. Well, they don't talk about it if they do. And obviously, three downgrades last week sort of put a kibosh on things in the short term. But now, again, with money flows finding its way into the market, Apple wins to that. And I think that's why to a certain extent, it's gotten itself off the mat as well. But I think your point is well taken. I mean, they believe it or not, folks, Apple faces the same headwinds that a lot of other these companies uh, uh, find themselves in the midst of. And I don't think they're going to be impervious to it. So we're going to see. Listen, a lot's yep. going to come home to roost moving forward. Um, right now, the market, everybody feels good about things. Money flows continue. Um the geopolitical risk is out there, but it's been out there for a while. So I think people are getting comfortable with it. Uh, in terms of bond volatility, it's there, but not nearly to the extent that we've seen it. So a lot of calming effects, but I think it's just masking some of the headwinds that we've talked about now seemingly forever. Yeah, let's let's look at the macro here a little bit, because crude is one that we've been talking about. Um, and again, it's a demand story and it seems to be weak. There's also an issue where you have you know, the Saudis um, mm-hmm. cutting prices. I saw some some stories about weak uh, or lower Russian output that would be towards uh, China. As we know, you see that downtrend that's been in place. We're kind of butting up um, against it a little bit. But I guess, you know, you and I don't, you know, as far as the crude, I mean, uh, you know, like any sort of geopolitical sort of thing. And we're going to be right up at that 200 day moving average. Do you think crude is setting up like do you want to play for a breakout here, guy um, at this point here? Because, again, you know where to stop to the downside. I think it's probably, you know, like the initial stop right here. If you want to keep it really tight, it's kind of buying in this kind of 72 range and stopping down at 70. I don't know. Is that too tight right here to play? Yeah, this? It's we're so, I mean, look, so you know this, but and the chart speaks to this. Every time since September, you've tried to play for a breakout, you have not been rewarded. You've actually been punished. So the question asks again is why it's any different this time. So I will remain in the camp that, you know, I do think higher prices come at some point on the back of a myriad of different things. But I think right now people are saying this is a demand story. And quite frankly, to a certain extent, supply as well. I mean, if you look at what's going on, you just mentioned the Saudis, U.S. production over 13 million barrels a day. That's obviously putting a bit of a lid on things here. But there will be a point where this trend line is broken and we trade back up to the moving average. And we're going to have a conversation about what got us there. But in the meantime, I think you just got to sit tight, Dan, and continue to do what you're doing. I mean, every rally has been an opportunity to sell it again. Yeah, and it's interesting when you think of just this kind of 70 to 75 range here. We're churning, right? And so to do that with futures, you'd probably want to keep much tighter stops. Um, and then the other thing, I'm just curious what your thought is here, Guy. Like, like if demand's weak, nothing's changing on demand anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So the only thing 
in my opinion, in the near term, okay, is that that basically gets crude to pop and it's going towards that moving average, okay, up there and maybe on its way to 80 or so is something really bad geopolitically. And I actually just don't want to play for that because I'm, I don't know about you, man. Like there was enough bad shit last year. Uh, and, um, you know, like I, I'm, I think we're all kind of hoping things kind of tamp down a little bit, but is that it? Like literally if you're playing for higher prices in crude right now, what is the catalyst for it to That's, break out? That, that is the catalyst, you know, some sort of, um, escalation of the, some of the, some of the geopolitical events that we've been seeing for quite some time. So you're right. I mean, nobody wants to, you don't want to be right for those reasons, obviously, because if those reasons come to fruition, obviously something really bad is happening in the world. Nobody's wishing for that. But you can't you can't just say it's not going to happen out of out of just you can't just write it off and hope that it's not going to happen because, you know, hope's not an investment thesis. But things are clearly being ratcheted up and we won't talk about this probably until next week. But on the other side of the world, there's going to be in, there's going to be an election this week in Taiwan that I yep. think are going to capture the attention of a lot of people that nobody seems to talk, talk about as well. So, yes, you're right to point out the geopolitical is what's probably, if there is a catalyst higher, it's going to be on the back of that. Yeah, um, let's look at the oil service stocks for a second here, the OIH, uh, the ETF that tracks them. And we know a couple of the names make up a lot. Look at that near term. You know, we're right at that um, low from, you know, December or so. You see the well-defined downtrend. And you know what's interesting, Guy, is like a lot of, room below we're through the moving average here we break those lows from just a few weeks ago and you see that uh, you know who knows 250 is the next stop but look at this pull up a five-year chart people and we could just kind of visually look at the uh the line that you would draw off of the sort of 2020 lows here um on the oah on a five-year basis and man i mean talk about coming up against a big support that's a level huge here. trend line i'm glad you brought that up because you can I mean, we can have Stephen or Jacob draw the line. They're good enough to do it now. But you draw you draw the low from, I think, April of 2020, yeah. and you start connecting these lows, and you'll see exactly what we're looking at here. So there you go. I mean, you can fudge it a little bit if you want and sort of – but that's the trend line. I mean, you know, Carter might be able to do a little bit of a better job, but well, do you know, it from there's the April low. Line. Yeah, do it from the April low. I mean, it's not sitting on it right now. There's room to the downside, and, you know, it's too – 270 or so guys so you have another six mm -hmm. or seven percent until you're testing it and, and again you know if demand's weak and then here's the flip side guy let's just say there's some ceasefire in gaza right let's just say there's nothing you know that we get through this gen 13 election in taiwan nothing's going on let's just say you know there was a report i think in one of the newspapers this morning about secret talks peace talks um that happened in december in Riyadh, in Saudi Arabia, with Russia and Ukraine. And maybe it's just the Ukrainians, but it was the allies trying to get a sense for what conditions they might call for peace. You know what I mean? You would have crude much lower. I mean, like, like, like if there was like, and, and that would be a great thing. And it would be great for U.S. consumers for that, for that matter. So this is one, I think, to keep a really tight eye on. Absolutely. I mean, I think if the last one, I think we probably have a gold chart just for shits and giggles, as they say, because why not but again we're probably right at support again in terms of gold and you know the fact that the dollars got off the mat a little bit that's obviously not helping the cause and there's your trend line but this is what really concerns me if we could do a real-time sort of four or five year chart and see the number of times we've basically traded up to this 2100 ish level and failed i mean it's getting to be a little disappointing now so other than you know there you go so 
if this was anything but gold for me, I'd say, man, oh man, it just can't get out of its own way at these levels. You got to be a maniac to want to stay long. But I will continue to say that, you know, it hangs in there and I still think there's going to have its day in the sun. So I'm just going to stick by that for now. Yeah. All right. Before we get out of here, this is a good one. You were quoting this before, so you must have saw it. I know that you like this Twitter account. Doug also sent it to us earlier. This is the Kobayashi letter. Um, and this is just how big have the Magnificent Seven become. The market cap of the Mag 7 is four times that of the Russell 2000. Microsoft alone is the size mm-hmm. of the entire stock market of Canada. The market cap of the Mag 7 is the same size as the stock markets of the UK, Canada, and Japan combined. Um, pretty fascinating stuff there, Guy. Well, look at the last line. Those stocks are the stock market. It's true. And Again, in the world of passive investing, when money flows, they will just continue to sort of build on themselves, which is fine, except that, you know, you can get yourself extended too. And when you have that that few stocks carrying the load of everything else and under the surface, all this damage is being done, you got to be concerned that if these stocks were to give it up for whatever reason, there's going to be a problem in the broader market. No doubt. Um, okay. Well, listen, you know, we try to come in uh, this year a bit more constructive. I know, um, I'm energetic, man. I, no, I, I didn't say anything about your energy level. Yeah, um, I, I, I just I'm said, feeling it. You know, we're trying to, you know, listen, new year, new possibilities. I'm trying to think about new narratives, but I'm stuck with one narrative that we were kind of harping on a good bit of Q4 and actually Q3 for that matter is that 2024 earnings estimates, the consensus are just out of whack with reality. I mean, it's just that simple. So I guess the, a lot of the work that Butters has been kind of detailing in the earnings insight blog over the last few months or so is that, you know, while we just don't have this all at once clip to S and P 500 earnings, right? It happens kind of slowly, but I do think that maybe it's starting to happen a bit quicker. If you just look at the data that he started out his conversation with us with is that normally over the course of a quarter, you'll see earnings come down three or 4%, the consensus, right? In the last quarter from September 30th for Q4, they came down 8%. So maybe that's something that is kind of, if we kind of come in line with that or actually underperform it, maybe that's one of the reasons why analysts start lowering the numbers quicker. So there it is, guy. Well, earnings season is upon us. We're going to hear from some people at the end of the week. So buckle up, as they say. And I've enjoyed this again, just to sort of finish where I started. I love the Rangers. I love their team. And if, if this was a year where we were rebuilding, I would be sort of you know, beside myself with enthusiasm. But this is a year, Dan, as I mentioned, that I plan on being one of the last two teams standing and I don't like what I saw last night. So I know Peter Laviolette is a fan. I also know Chris Drew is a fan. If you're watching, still a couple pieces we need to put in place. But with that, we'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow being Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken, uh, EY from SoFi will be joining us. Is that correct? She Dan? will. on what, She's going to be a Wednesday regular guy on the market call. And I'll and- throw this in as well. Yeah. Because we did it last week, we sort of did a little overtime where we fielded questions in real time, and we'll probably effort that again tomorrow. Let's do it. We're going to go OT with EY from SoFi. All right, everyone, thanks so much. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to John Butters. Uh, we love having him on the program. Obviously, thanks to FactSet, CME Group. Thanks to all of you guys. We're going to take your questions tomorrow. Amanda is getting ready already, guys. So we'll see you tomorrow. Later. Later. 